Please take your Bibles, open to 1 John chapter 1. We're beginning a new series today, 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at the first four verses of this text. And if you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Hear now the written word of the living God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have heard or excuse me, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Pray with me, please. Father, this is your word, which makes it true in all that it says and teaches. The grass will wither, The flowers will fall, but this word will stand forever. And God, we boldly ask you to open our hearts and our minds to receive it. If there is any distraction, Lord, in our hearts and our minds, in our lives, Father, we cast those things upon you, those distractions upon you, our cares, we cast them upon you and ask you to prepare us to hear from your word. May we worship you today through the preaching of your word. If there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus, draw that one to yourself, we ask. And as believers, may we see clearly the good news of the gospel. May we see the need to proclaim and to testify it. May we see the joy that comes from it. We ask all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever been so excited about something, or has something ever been so important to you that you just couldn't wait to share it? Kids, maybe it's when you got maybe your first pet. You couldn't wait to maybe tell one of your friends about the pet that you got. Or teenagers, maybe it was when you first, when you scored your first goal in a game, maybe in basketball or soccer. You just couldn't wait to maybe call your, your grandmother and say, this is what happened today. Or adults, maybe for you it was a promotion that you got in a job. You couldn't wait to share that maybe with your spouse. Has there ever been anything like that so important, so pressing, that you couldn't wait to tell others about it? You know, I mention that because sharing good news, that's the way John opens the text today. That's what's on his heart in his mind. The Bible teaches us today that he has something so important that he just has to share it. Now, what do we know about John and this book of 1 John? Well, we know that the apostle John, he was the author of this book, and he was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read the scriptures, we know that John walked and talked with Jesus, didn't he, on a daily basis. And he saw, he witnessed 
so much of the Lord's ministry. Do you know that John so much John saw so much of what Jesus did that the Holy Spirit placed on his heart. John, you need to write all this down. You need to write all this down in a gospel letter. You need to record all of those miracles, all those events, all of those acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did that, didn't he? We know that is the gospel of John. And today we see that John, knowing everything he had heard and seen about Jesus, again, he didn't want to keep that information to himself. You see, he, he has something so exciting, so important, that it would be selfish of him to keep it, keep it to himself. So he didn't do that. He wanted to share it. In fact, he wanted to testify about it. He wanted to proclaim it to other people. Did you see those two verbs in verse 2? Look at verse 2. Toward the middle of the verse, it says, Testify to it and proclaim to you. In other words, John has something to say. He has heard about Jesus. He's heard Jesus himself. He's touched him. He's seen him. And he can't keep the good news to himself. He says, I've got to proclaim it. I've got to testify to you about it. And that's how he opens his letter. He just can't wait to do that. You see, being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew it was incumbent upon him to speak about it. He could not stay silent. And in a nutshell today, beloved, John wants to share the gospel. He wants to share the good news about Jesus so that other people can hear the message of salvation. They can hear about eternal life so they too can have hope in Christ. And all this is found in the first four verses of the text. So as we zoom in, as we examine John's testimony, his proclamation, if you will, about the good news of Jesus Christ, I believe you're going to see at least five things regarding the gospel today. Here they are. John proclaims the good news about Jesus that, number one, Jesus is fully God. Number two, Jesus is fully man. Number three, Jesus brings eternal life. Number four, Jesus brings true fellowship. And number five, Jesus brings true joy. He's God. He's man. He brings eternal life. He brings fellowship. And he brings joy. Look with me, if you would, at that first point. The first proclamation is that Jesus is fully God. Look at the first phrase of verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Stop. That which was from the beginning. This is verse 1 or chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 John. That which was from the beginning. But I want to pause and ask you a question. Does that remind you of any other book of the Bible? Chapter 1, verse 1. John and Genesis. John and Genesis. That's right. We know that Genesis was written by Moses. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So when Moses starts the book of Genesis, what does he do? He takes us back in time 
to that moment where God created space and created time and created this world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what about the other verse? John 1 1. Turn with me to that text if you got a minute. John 1 1. I want to read the first five verses of the book of John. Here's what the Word of God says. Again, this is the same author, John. The one that wrote 1 John is the one writing the Gospel of John. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're reminded again of Genesis. Genesis takes us back to that point where God created space and time. But John, he takes us back even further than that, doesn't he? John talks about creation in those first five verses. He talks about it in verse 3. But what about verses 1 and 2 of the gospel? John takes us back even before creation and time. He takes us back to the very heart of who God is. And in speaking of Jesus, he says it this way, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, there was a controversy in early church history called the Arian Controversy. The Arians were a group of people who thought that Jesus was created. And their line went something like this. They said, there was a time when Jesus was not in other words, he did not exist at, at a certain time, so he had to be created. But we read verses like 1 John 1, 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and we see that there was never a time that Jesus was not, because the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he was God. Let's look at those two phrases for a second. He was with God. This speaks to the plurality of persons in the Godhead that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Christ is a separate person from his Father, so he could be with his Father and even with the Spirit. But it also teaches us that they were God, that even you, though you have three persons in the Godhead, you only have one God. The Catechism asks it this way, how many persons are in the Godhead? And the answer is there's three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. You know, over the past couple of weeks, I've been able to teach the communicants class right over here down the hall. I'm having a great time in that class. I love teaching those kids. And I've taught them this phrase about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are same in substance. You remember that, Jackson? They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three fully God. They're the same in their substance, equal in power and glory. And beloved, that is what this passage is declaring to us. That Christ was, yes, with his Father, but he was God. And that brings us back now to the epistle we start today. And it says it this way, that which was from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. And he is declaring to us that Jesus is God. 
Think about other ways John could have said this. John could have said, hey, read my gospel, and you'll see that Jesus is God. Read the second chapter of my gospel, and you'll see where Jesus turned that water into wine. Let me tell you, he's God. Read chapter 6 of John. You'll see where Jesus walked on water. He's God. In chapter 9 of my gospel, John says, there was a blind man who couldn't see, and Jesus healed him because he's God. And if that doesn't convince you, there was a man named Lazarus who died. And Jesus came to his tomb four days after he died. And he stood in front of that tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And I declare to you, I saw it. A dead man came walking out of that tomb alive. You know why? Because Jesus is God. And I want to boldly declare that to you. I want to testify that to you. In fact, I want to start out not only my gospel, but this first epistle telling you that he was from the beginning. Jesus is fully God. But secondly, the good news is this, that Jesus is fully man as well. Look at the remainder of verse 1. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I've already talked about one heresy, the heresy of the Arians. I want to tell you about another one. Because during the time John was writing, there were all sorts of heresies starting to form about Jesus Christ. The second one was called docetism. You ever heard that word? Docetism. It comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. So the docetist would say, Jesus really didn't have flesh and blood. He just seemed or appeared to be human. Because having flesh and blood in their minds would be inherently evil, inherently bad. So Jesus couldn't have had flesh and blood. He just seemed or appeared to have flesh and blood. In fact, he was more of a ghostly appearance than anything else. That's what the docetist would say. So in hearing the beginnings, the rumblings of this false teaching, John takes the first verse of the book of 1 John, and not only does he teach us against the Arian controversy that Jesus is God, but he picks up upon this docetism and tells us that Jesus is man. And right here in this verse, what does he do? He says, listen, I have seen him with my eyes, I have heard him, and I've touched him. Do you see those verbs? I heard him speak, I saw him with my eyes, and yes, I even went and touched him. I grabbed his arm. In fact, John's going to say, there was a time I put my head on his chest. This is no ghost. This is Jesus as man in flesh and blood. In fact, you can think of so many ways in which the Gospels describe Jesus as a man. The Gospels describe Jesus as one who would eat real food and drink real drink. There was this one time Jesus was tired and he had to take a nap on the boat. Go back to the tomb at Lazarus. 
Yes, Lazarus, he raised from the dead, but what happened before that? John could have said, look, in my 11th chapter, I recorded when he stood there with Mary and Martha, crying with them, weeping with them, right? And the Bible says that real tears went down his real face because he was a man. John could have said, I saw the nails go into his hands. I saw the real blood come out. I saw a spear be jabbed into his side and real water and real blood came out. He was a man. And by the way, when he rose from the dead, which was his act of God, he still stood there as a man and said, Thomas, come over here and take your finger and put it into my hands. Feel it. Take your hand and come over here and touch my side. Yes, Jesus was fully man. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. As John said in his gospel, again, back in chapter 1, verse 14, he talked about the Word being with God and was God, right? But then in verse 14 of that first chapter, he says, the Word was made flesh. That God stepped down and embraced our humanity. He was man without ceasing to be God. The God-man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is God, Jesus is man. But thirdly, verse 2 teaches us that Jesus did all this to bring eternal life. Look at verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And here's those verbs again. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The eternal life. A few moments ago, our brother Daniel stood right here and read from Acts chapter 4. Daniel, I appreciate your background, your explanation to that text. Because the apostles were experiencing persecution. You had Peter and John, unlearned men, proclaiming the good news, yet they were warned by the leadership of that day, don't do it anymore. We're going to let you go, but don't do this again. And they had to make a decision. What are we going to do? And they asked the question, is it better to obey God or man? And they knew it was better to obey God. And the Bible says they couldn't help but proclaim it. They couldn't help but testify to what Jesus had done. Why? Because Jesus is the one who brings eternal life. It is through Christ that you are going to have eternal life. And it was this message, this proclamation, this testimony of what they had heard and seen that they wanted to tell other people. And that message is simply this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. You see, Jesus brings eternal life. John wrote that in his gospel. He's now repeating it in a way here in chapter 1. And here's how all of this comes together. You see, this message of eternal life is built on what he just said. 
This message of eternal life starts with the fact that Jesus is God, fully, completely God, deserving all honor and glory, power, and praise, the sovereign ruler of the universe. That God decided to step out of glory and to come all the way down to this earth and robe himself in our humanity, to be the baby born in Bethlehem, to undergo all the miseries of this life, to do all those things we mentioned, to eat with us, drink with us, have pain with us, to cry with us, to grieve with us. Why? He looked us face to face so he could identify with us. Hebrews says that Jesus had to be a man in order to represent man, and Jesus came all the way down to where we are. One of the greatest messages I'll ever tell you about Jesus is this. Jesus did not come halfway down just to sort of identify with you and go back up. He came all the way down and wrapped himself in humility and humiliation because he loves you and he loves me because we have a sin problem. The Bible says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin separates us from God. We can't do anything to get rid of it. But Jesus can. That's why he came. And when he lived on this earth, when he lived that life, he was sinless. He was tempted just like you and I are every single day, yet without sin. And he set his face towards Jerusalem. And he went to the cross Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And yes, he opened his arms and his legs, and he bled, and he died. But as the song we sang just a moment ago says, it was our sin that held him there. It was my sin that held him there. It was your sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Because Christ took all of that sin And he died with it, but he rose without it. He conquered it. He removed it forever to be gone. And he said that now because of what I have done, you, you can have eternal life. Eternal life with God. The the consequences of your sin can be removed and you don't have to go to hell. Because without me, that's where you're going. You can have the forgiveness of your sin, a relationship with God. And yes, you can have eternal life. It's the message of John 3.16. And this is the message that John is saying. I've got to testify about this. I've got to proclaim it to you. He's God and he's man, but he's God and man so that you can have eternal life. That's the message he wants to proclaim. But there's more than that, actually. That's our fourth point. You see, he's God and he's man to bring eternal life, but not just eternal life. He's here to bring true fellowship. Look at verse 3. That which we have heard or seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Did Jesus die to bring you eternal life? Yes, he did. But that's not just heaven. It's part of it. That's not it. You see, part of that eternal life is right now. 
that you can have true fellowship with at least two things. Number one, with Christians. The Bible says that Christians are the body of Christ. That we are the hands and the feet and the elbows and the, and the toes and the fingers of Christ. That we're unified together in this body, participating together having these intimate relationships in the church. But secondly, as this text says, you can have a fellowship with God. Look at the last part of verse 3, that you can have fellowship with us, that's, that's Christians, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is your vertical relationship. Our horizontal relationship is that relationship with each other. But he says you can now have this great fellowship with God. Because let's remember something about the body of Christ. Yes, it has hands and feet, but it needs a head, doesn't it? The Bible says that head is Christ. And that we thrive in him. John 15 says it this way. He is the vine. We are the branches. In other words, he is the life source. He is the head of the church. And there is a true fellowship, a true partnership, a true relationship between us now and our great God. He was God and man to bring you life, but that life involves the fellowship with others, even with God. And then he finishes this way in verse 4. He says that Jesus also came to bring you joy. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We talked about joy a good bit in the book of Philippians. Joy is one of the main themes of that book. So this corresponds to Philippians in that way. But as we talk about joy today, I want you to hear a quote. This is from Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd concerning joy. Listen to this. Joy is something very deep and profound, something that affects the whole and entire personality. In other words, it comes to this. There is only one thing that can give true joy, and that is the contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies my mind. He satisfies my emotions. He satisfies my every desire. He and his great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less. And in him I am complete. Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Beloved, the scriptures teach us that Christ is so nourishing. Christ is so plentiful that, it's, that he satisfies the thirst of our souls completely. Why? Because he is Savior. He is Redeemer. He is our hope. And as the scripture says, he is our all in all. And it's only in Christ that we have that joy. So as we conclude this morning, as we step back, as we review the text that we've been given today, let's ask and answer these questions together. First of all, do you know that Jesus is God?
He's not a God. He is the God. He's not just a good example or, or a, a moralistic example. He's God. He is from the beginning. Yes, Moses took us back to that beginning of time and space, but John takes you back further to the heart of God. He was with God. He was God. He is from the beginning. But do you also know that Jesus is man? That Jesus, having all authority, stepped out of glory and humiliated himself, came all the way down to where we are and wrapped himself in our humanity. Read the Gospels. The Gospels go to great extent to teach us the humanity of Christ, his eating, his drinking, his sleeping, his bleeding, his crying. But do you know that he was God and man for you? To bring you eternal life, not eternal damnation, eternal life in Christ, that you can have heaven, that you can not only have heaven, but you can have a fellowship right here, right now, with God. Jesus didn't come to just to give you eternal life a long time from now, but starting now, that you can have life more abundantly, life in a relationship with God and with others in God's church. And it's only in knowing those things that we have joy. There are so many things in this life that are going to try to rob you of joy. We talked about that a good bit in Philippians, didn't we? Circumstances, the highs, the lows of that roller coaster. But it's only in Christ that you're going to have joy, even in the midst of those things. And I have one more question for you, and then we're going to close. We need to take a step back and see the passion, the passion that is lighting a fire under John. He's opening this book, and he is basically saying what those apostles said in Acts chapter 4, I can't help but proclaim and testify about this good news. These folks back then were doing it under great persecution. We know that. Yet today we find the easiest excuse to not proclaim and testify about that good news. We should see his enthusiasm. We should see his passion to share. We should be reminded of verses like Acts chapter 1, verse 16 that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to all who believe, to the Jew first, and yes, even to the Greek. May God give every one of us a fresh passion to proclaim and testify to others this good news about Jesus. Pray with me, please. Lord God, in 